Hey guys, this is the Walking Well Podcast and I'm your host, Jalon Martz. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have been having a really good conversation about parenting intentionally and what that looks like um, to start off being a parent with intention to what it looks like to parent intentionally throughout all the different life seasons for your kids and for yourself. And today's conversation, I'm super excited about having. Um, we are going to be talking about parenting with intention when it comes to adoption. And I have with me Kate Slack, who is this amazing woman of crazy fortitude and intention. And um, I've had the pleasure of, of meeting her on my first missions trip with Courtney Bowser, who was on the podcast earlier this season, um, and just encountering, um, man, her heart for her kiddos. And and we've had a couple conversations now just about um, what it looks like to parent um, adopted kids well and to just be in a space of adoption. Um, you guys know that I work in child welfare, so I kind of have a really interesting perspective um, on the adoption issue. And so when I was thinking about someone to come on and, and really talk about what can be sticky and tricky and, and really difficult, um, Kate came to mind. And so I'm really excited uh, to have this conversation and to facilitate some understanding on what it looks like, what it takes to do it well and to represent the Lord well in doing it. Um, so without further ado, Kate, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be a part of this. I'm really excited. So um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your adoption story? Okay. Um, my husband and I have, well, now we've been married for 11 years, but I had never wanted kids. And my husband always knew that he would be a dad and he set himself up to be a great dad. And so I kind of had this situation of like, he wants something someday and I'm not sure if I'm willing to give that. And it got to the point for me where I was willing to tell God no, if God told me that he wanted me to have a baby. And that's a big, big, big problem. Um, that's a real big heart problem. And so I actually got myself um, a therapist and started going to therapy because I think that that's a really significant part of people's lives. And it should be a significant part of people's lives when they're experiencing turmoil, whether it's inside themselves or in their marriage. Thankfully, it never caused problems in my marriage. But it was something that was important to me that if I'm willing to tell God, no, I need to get my heart right. And that's not okay for me to be willing to tell the creator of the universe. No, I'm not about what you're asking me to do. So um, went to counseling and she was super, super helpful in helping me tear down some of the giants that I had put in the way and some of the fears that I had put in the way. So right after I was in a better place, I was like, all right, maybe this could be a thing. I ended up going to visit my friend who lived in Uganda. And she was like, so there are these two girls. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> So I just came here to hang out with you for a week. And not get babies. <laughs> no, nah, I, I was not coming here to adopt any kids. And so um, spent a week with her and my mom was actually with me on this trip. My husband was not. Um, so I'm sitting here looking at these faces of these these two little girls. And I'm like, I don't know how to talk to my husband about this, how to say yes or no to this situation. So came home, my husband and I 
we fasted and we prayed and we, it was during the month of December. So we had our Christmas tree up in the house. And so we would sit on the living room floor and we would worship and we would take communion together at night and we would pray and we would say, God, we're in covenant with you and we're in covenant with each other. And if you want to open this up to include these two little girls, then we want to be willing and we want to be equipped. And so we want you to make it very clear. And the Lord made it very clear that that was what he wanted us to do. So um, fast forward six months and I moved to Uganda um, in anticipation of being able to adopt our girls. All the paperwork was done. I had quit my jobs in anticipation of becoming a mom. So I moved to Uganda a week after we arrived in Uganda or a week after I arrived in Uganda. We got a call from our attorney that we um, had not, in fact, been grandfathered into this law change that had happened. And so we were going to have to foster for a year and live in country for a year. Um, so there I found myself without my husband. And all of a sudden, I'm fostering these two girls that there's no end in sight of us coming home. <laughs> so so that's kind of the the quick rundown of where my heart was to begin with. And then like how God shifted things and then me who didn't want kids all of a sudden had kids without my husband on my on the same continent as me so um the lord did a major work there that i was willing and able to go and do that without my husband by my side to support me through that so it was yeah yeah (laughs) so how long did you end up living in uganda before you came back to the states I was there for a full two years. Um, I had the girls. Joel, my husband, Joel, was able to come to visit six times. Um, He stayed for like a week or two each time. So it wasn't anything like hugely significant. Um, Definitely not enough for the girls to get to know him very well. And definitely not enough for me to feel rested by the time he left. Cause he would come and we would just try and spend every moment, like trying to make every moment count. And when you have only two weeks after six months of being apart, it's, it's, it was hard. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine, but yeah, I'm sure it was hard. But that um, was the season where I met you. Yeah. Yeah. You were killing it. <laughs> I was like, this chick is built different. Cause that was your circumstance. Like you were like, yeah, didn't end up, <laughs> didn't think I would end up living here for as long as I am, but here I am. And I don't know what I'm going home. And yeah. you, you know, we're just doing it. And granted, I don't know what like yeah. the in-between moments of that were like for you, but I was still amazed. Cause I'm like, I don't even know what I would what kind of state of mind I would be in, you know? Well, I think about single moms mm-hmm. and military spouses and spouses who's, husbands travel all the time and how they don't get a choice. They just do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, that's a really hard thing, but God gives us the grace for each day and his mercies are new every morning. And we have to trust that if he's called us to do it, then he's going to equip us to do it. Yeah. Good perspective. Um, okay. So just in the, in the way of adopting, especially being that that wasn't necessarily like something that you were like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. Like what were some of the expectations that you had versus what it actually ended up looking like? Um, 
in order for us to adopt, we had to go through classes and learn about trauma and learn about all of these kinds of things, interracial adoption and cultural ad- like adoption and things like that. So we went through all the classes and did all the things and we're like, yeah, we're fine. And I thought the hardest part of adopting African kids, specifically African girls, was going to be doing their hair and was ignorantly thinking that that would be the most difficult part of, of adopting these kids and like, oh yeah, I can just, you know, still do some of their culture. Like we'll wear some of the clothes and we'll make some of the food and like, it's not enough. It's like taking kids out of their culture is not easy. I have questions on if it's even morally right. Mm. And here I'm sitting with my kids and we're nice and happy here in America with my kids. But I took something so valuable away from them by bringing them here. But I also have to consider that this was what God asked us to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's this weird conundrum of like my initial thoughts. I was blinded by my privilege thinking I'm going to be able to bring these kids here from Africa. It's going to be great. I'll still be able to help them to understand some of their culture and stuff. And even after two years of living in in their, cult, in their culture with them, I'm never going to be able to do it justice. I'm never going to be able to be all of the things that they need me to be because I am not from their culture. Um, and I think, I think just, uh, that's, that's a huge aspect of, of kind of the expectation versus reality. Mm. Um, hair has been the least of my worries. Um, I worked really hard to learn how to do their hair. Um, and, and I can, um, very proudly put braids in my kids hair and things (laughs) like that. But, but like, that's, that's how I love my kids. That's not, that's not a, this is going to be a big, this is, that's not a big issue in my relationship with my kids. That's how I love my kids, but that doesn't help with their culture. That doesn't help with their emotional well-being, uh, being removed from their initial family. Um, I learned a little bit about trauma leading up to adoption and I just had no idea all of the depths of the trauma that kids face who are removed from their first families and the ways that they deep down inside of them know that there's something that has been taken from them even if they're infants when they're adopted my girls were a little bit older and so they still remember some of their previous life um, but even infants in the womb there's something being taken away from them. They're hearing this woman's heartbeat. They're, they're living inside of this woman. They're hearing this person's voice. Um, and so there is so much that's taken away from them. And people see adoption as this big celebratory thing and everybody wants to celebrate it. And it's heartbreaking and it's tragic. And, and I had to sit there and think like, is this God's plan A or is this God's plan B? Because God's plan A, in my mind, I'm not, saying what I know what God's plan A is, but it should be that kids should be able to stay with their first families. And the trauma that my kids have experienced and adoptive kids have experienced is due to the fact that their biological families experienced trauma in some way, shape or form that caused them to no longer, 
no longer be able to care for their children. Mm. And that's not right. Like, and that's not okay. And we should never celebrate when a parent's rights are terminated. We should never be excited um, about about a child losing their first family. Um, and, and as I dig deeper into trauma and learn more about trauma, um, just how deeply seated it is in our bodies and in our spirits. And um, I think that in all of the research that I've been doing since getting my girls and learning about all of the different ways that trauma can affect the kids, um, you know, there, there are studies done and there's all kinds of information out there on how trauma impacts kids in their attention spans and in their um, sensory processing. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people who have experienced trauma have sensory processing issues and they need different ways treated and handled because they can't take in the sensory the same way that um, a neurotypical person could. Um, so I, I was not expecting some of the sensory things that my kids do and, and even myself, mm-hmm. um, my own trauma. Um, I'm learning a lot about myself and how I have processed trauma and how it has played out in my, in my life. So I think a lot of the things that I was expecting to be hard haven't been as hard. And the reality has been like the things that I wasn't anticipating have just hit me upside the head. (laughs) Yeah. Blindsided in a way. I love that you said that like one of the things that we talk about, um, as you know, someone that works in child welfare, especially that teaches kind of the classes that people have to go through is that adoption is steeped in loss that for an adoption to be possible, things have been lost, you know, families have been disrupted. And and I even just really appreciate the perspective of when a parent's rights are terminated, that's not a moment of celebration because plan A, everybody should be able to grow up in a happy, healthy family with their first family, you know, Um, because for adoption to happen, the heartbreak had to happen first, you know, a home, a family had to be broken. Um, And so I really appreciate that perspective. um, And I don't want to come off as being super negative about adoption because I think adoption can be a really good thing, but I don't think it's the best thing. Like if God calls you to adopt, then that's what you got to do. But it's not necessarily going to be, let's celebrate every step of this as we go through it. Mm -hmm. Like we have to mourn with our kids, Mm -hmm. the things that they lost. And we have to be able to educate other people on like, no, I'm not excited about some aspects of this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When we came home, some of my friends were so excited that they were crying when the first time they saw me. And I said, I can't, I can't match your, your emotion right now because I'm feeling their loss for the country that I just grew to love. Mm. And I'm, I lost that too, Mm -hmm. but that's not my home country. That's not my motherland, you know? Right. Um, And so I had a hard time even coming home to America with my kids after being in Uganda for two years, because I missed their home country. I missed the things that we had there. And so not only did my kids lose their first family, but then they get they were at an orphanage and they were real is a really it's a really really great orphanage and they were well taken care of but then they lost that so they had 80 some brothers and sisters in the, mm-hmm. in the orphanage and all these aunties and uncles so when they came to live with me they lost 
their second home, you know, and we still got to go and visit, which was wonderful. I'm so grateful that we got to still be a part of that family for a while. But then when we left Uganda completely, there goes their culture, there goes all of their friends that they've known for years. And so it was like the losses are just compounding for my kids. Yeah. And so coming home was so hard emotionally for me because I was so aware of all that they had lost through this process of me rescuing these kids. And like, that's not, that's not adoption. Adoption is not, you're not rescuing these kids. Like there's just so, it goes so (laughs) deep. Um, And so, like I said, I don't want to sound negative about it because it's a really great thing, but it's not, it's not all, it's not all checkboxes in the, in the pros column. There are a lot of cons. Yeah. Well, can you talk and speak to like some of the myths of adoption? Um, Some of the things that people believe it will be or um, believe it'll do or what it'll be like that are just simply not, (laughs) not true, not the case. Um, Yeah. yeah. Well, like I was saying, um, how when a baby is in their mother's womb, they're hearing that person's heartbeat and they're feeling that person's movements and they're hearing that person's voice. Um, And a lot of times if that mother is not healthy, whether she's in a in an abusive relationship or she's super stressed out because she can't keep this baby or she's undergoing some kind of food scarcity. Um, and, and she's not able to feed her, fuel her body. Well, um, if she's mentally unstable, if there, like, there are so many things that happen that are being given to that baby. And so a lot of people think that if they adopt an infant, that it's just going to be just like they had just had this baby and they don't realize that that baby could have potentially had nine months of trauma leading up to coming out into this world. And then people assume that the baby is going to be fine. They, they think, well, if I adopt a five-year-old then they've already got all these issues and they've already got lots of bad habits and things like that. But this baby who's been in the womb now for nine months being treated however they're being treated by the by the biological mother they're being handed loads and loads of trauma and then this this by adoptive family doesn't know how to handle when their child starts acting out in different ways because they've had them since birth mm-hmm. um you know you're a stranger that is trying to comfort and care for this baby who has been being taken care of by someone else for 9 months you don't smell right. You don't Mm -hmm. have the right voice. Your heartbeat isn't right. And so even from day one, it's, it's hard and it's loss for that, for that baby. And how is the baby going to tell you that they're, that they're having a hard time with the changes that have been forced upon them? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, um, I think a lot of people, they want the, the Annie, Mm. uh, adoption story. And I, I think about indespicable me. One of the little girls says something about when we got adopted by a bald guy, I thought this would be more like Annie. (laughs) And like, and then my, my take on it is when I, when I adopted my kids, 
I thought I would be like more like Maria from The Sound of Music. Mm. Like mm. I thought that I'd be adopting all these like happy-go-lucky kids, and we'd just be frolicking through the fields and in the Alps, and we'd be singing, and that everything would be great. And and it's not. It's not that. Like you are. Like my one of my daughters. Anytime I tried to pick her up or comfort her or hold her or hold her hand, she would scream and cry probably for the first nine months. Mm. And that's not fun when your child falls down and they don't trust you because you are a stranger and you are not going to comfort them. You're going to make things worse if you Mm. try and comfort them because they don't want you. They want whoever it was that was taking care of them previously. And so a lot of kids, they internalize what's going on and then they become really independent and then they don't want any help at all with anything because I don't have the person that I wanted to take care of me. And this other substitute person is not good enough. And so I'm just going to take care of my own stuff. And mm-hmm. so it was um, <clears throat> it, it was a very long time before I heard my daughter cry out of like sadness and pain. Because m- every time I heard her cry, it was out of anger because she wanted nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I heard her cry because she wanted me to meet her needs, it was heartbreaking because it was so far into our relationship and she sounded like an infant. Like Mm. she sounded like an infant crying because she had just been holding it all in for so long. Mm -hmm. I Uh, think that's such an important part because, you know, I work in child welfare, so that's the foster adoptive side and your kiddos were international, but they're such a constant in the impact that trauma has, the impact that loss has. Um, and, and that, you know, when we talk to families, we're always like, Hey, you know, everything in your kid's life has told them that the world is not safe and that adults are not trustworthy. And so when you talked about your daughter internalizing and like pushing you away and, you know, it, it that it's survival. It's, you know, I've got to yeah. handle my stuff because no one else is going to do that for me. I've learned right. from my experiences that I have to do it. Um, and so the, the push away isn't necessarily about you, even though you're there. It's this is how I've so much of the behavior is I've had unmet needs and this is how I figured out how to cope. Right. And when you talk about trauma, I could talk about trauma all day. So mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just go. Right. Um, but the, one of the things about trauma that a lot of people have heard is fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. When something happens and the kid doesn't fully have the, the capacity to be able to compartmentalize everything that's happening, mm-hmm. they go to the deep part of their brain and they either fight, they, they flight, or they freeze. And so one of my daughters is a major fighter. If something happens, she doesn't get sad or hurt. She gets mad and she will lash out and she, it is, it's not, not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my other daughter kind of just freezes like she'll, she won't be able to talk. She won't be able to move. She'll just kind of like, she's so overwhelmed and she's so terrified that she just sits and can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And um, like there's, it's, it's not a choice. They don't have a choice in how they're responding. Like these are deep, deep in the, the animalistic parts of their brains 
they're not able to have cognitive thinking at that point. They're not thinking with the, the frontal parts of their brain. They're going deep, deep down where they survive. can cope and yep. survive. Yeah. Um, and, and that's for all, that's true for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get overwhelmed and when we flip our lids, we go to that animalistic part of us and we surprise ourselves as adults sometimes mm-hmm. in how we respond to things that we are overwhelmed by. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a little kid, I can't expect my kids to be able to say something logical mm-hmm. when they're, when they're, they're freaking out about something. Yeah. Um, yeah. When they're overwhelmed about something, they're not going to be able to give me a logical explanation for why they're doing something. Mm-hmm. And so they, they might be. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, I think about when you said some adults, we, we surprise ourselves. Yeah. Because we, you know, it's, it is so um, guttural. It is so the response yeah. is it's because it's, it is a survival response. So, you know, we talk about, well, I'm not going to talk about this going to say somatic systems and all of that, but you know, whatever, but um, that part of us that keeps us alive has to bypass the frontal cortex. It, and, you know, we don't have time to think about, oh, is that hot? Let me move my hand. It's a survival instinct that goes, we don't have time to think, move your hand. That's hot. And right. our, our responses to being overwhelmed, to detecting danger, because a lot of times, you know, with kids, especially that are, have experienced trauma, their brain is in that heightened state already. And so you may not think it's a threat. You may not think, you know, this is a survival issue, but their brain is like, we are in survival mode all the time. And I love that you mentioned flipping yeah. your lid. Um, Cause that's a, the, that's a phrase from a, the book, the whole brain child. Um, and so that's a, that's a resource freebie. Yeah. <laughs> I've got um, it. <laughs> yes. It's, you know, uh, it's a good one to understand kids in general, not even just, you know, traumatized children, kids in general, it's a really good resource. Um, so what does it take? And this is a huge question, but what does it take to parent an adopted child with intention? Uh, Well, you mentioned the whole brain child and I've got the book sitting right here with me. I, I have other books that I have been reading. Um, I, I've made it a point to really start to understand trauma and how it affects people in general. Um, I listened to your podcast on trauma that you had done a while back Mm. Um, and one of the quotes that you said is that trauma is not an excuse to stay bound and broken. Mm-hmm. Um, the great Jalan Martz said that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so acknowledging that my children have experienced trauma is, is a part of it. But I don't have to accept that they're always going to be bound and broken by it. But because they don't have the tools to be able to help themselves get out of their state of trauma and that constant state of fight, flight, or freeze, that constant state of survival mode, it's up to me to educate myself and to be able to help them to have the tools that they need. So in my house, we have a basket with just like fidget toys and Mm -hmm. like regulate, we call them regulating toys. Mm -hmm. And so we get to help them to regulate and get themselves calmed down uh, before we ask anything else of them. And so we have we have different tools that we have in place. The other day, my daughter was just having a real hard attitude mm-hmm. day. And I just went and picked her up and stuck her on the kitchen counter and handed her two ice cubes. And we just sat there watching the ice cubes melt. And it was enough to get her to 
start to relax and you know we're 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 melting ice cubes and we're breathing mm-hmm. and we're melting ice cubes and we're breathing and i have 15 other things that i need to be doing right now but we're melting ice cubes and we're breathing mm-hmm. and i can't tell you the number of times that i've had to turn off the stove and stop what i was doing so that i could go and spend 20 minutes trying to help my kid regulate mm-hmm. and then go back to making pancakes mm-hmm. and then go back 20 minutes to help reg- like it's it takes so much more than I feel like I have to give sometimes. Mm. Um, I think that that it takes a lot of dependence on God and knowing that God is wanting healing for his children and he is he is with them and he is strengthening them and I'm teaching them to claim healing. I'm teaching them to ask God to bring comfort and peace to their hearts when they're feeling overwhelmed. I actually have to brag for just a second because both of of my daughters made a decision for Christ within the last two weeks. Oh my gosh. So, um, so that has been a really interesting aspect because one of my daughters, she has a chronic illness. And so now every day she is praying that she's going to be healed of this chronic illness. And she prays for, you know, all of these things that she knows that she can ask God for and that she's going to ask Jesus to, to bring healing to her heart and to her mind. Mm. And she's going to ask God to heal her body all the way down to her blood cells. And, you know, I'm, I'm having to teach my kids the tools that they need so that they can cope Mm -hmm. because they can't do it on their own. Mm -hmm. You know, adults go to therapists and that's a great, great thing. Um, and kids go to therapists too, which mm-hmm. is also a great thing. But day in and day out, we're not at the therapist's office every day. So I have to be able to teach them how to regulate their breathing, how to get themselves back into a, a normal level. And um, so I think that equipping myself and learning as much as I can about trauma so that I can try and help them. Um, I think that giving them a voice and being able to allow them to explore some of their feelings and some of their thoughts is also really important and helping them to, you know, just this morning we had had an issue and my daughter went and just destroyed everything in her room and just, you know, knocked everything off the shelves, took her sheets off of her bed. And she came walking out to me like she was proud of herself Mm -hmm, because I did this. (laughs) She she wanted me to join her in her mess, Mm -hmm. like in her frustration. Mm -hmm. She even told me, I said, why did you, why did you do that? She said, I wanted you to be mad too. Mm. I said, all right, so do you think that maybe the better idea would have been for you to take a deep breath and come and talk to me and use your good words and tell me that you were feeling frustrated and maybe we could have come up with something that we could have done together instead of destroying your room. Um, and so teaching my kids that if they use their words, mm. that daddy and I can help them. Mm-hmm. if they let the enemy get their body out of control so that mm-hmm. they break things, mm-hmm. I can't help them at that point. We just have to figure out how to clean things up and how to fix the things that got broken. Yeah. Um, and so, but like how often do adults use their good words when they're feeling frustrated mm-hmm. or how often do we let that cuss word slip out or that snarky comment come back to that person? Um, so it's, it's a lot of just trying to help my kids to know the way that they can get their needs met um, without having to resort to 
trying to do it by themselves or trying to break something so that they can feel better. Um, I think a lot of it is just figuring out how to give them the vocabulary so that they can regulate themselves or so that if they need help regulating that they can ask for help so that we can help them to regulate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And I just being in this field and even just hearing you talk, it's so, and also this is kind of a random plug in, but we, have you heard of the show, the chosen? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Okay. So I've heard, I heard a couple people talking about it. Um, and I've always hated like the, TBN Jesus stories because everything is so stoic and I'm like this is weird this is just weird and so it's like a much more human picture of like Jesus' story like they have a guy that's on the spectrum like that one of the disciples that he's like on the spectrum and it's just like people it's way more like people um, probably more like what actually happened with people and I'm always just amazed at the way that um like Jesus intersects with people's lives and is really bringing like when you're, what you're talking about. And even in adoption, like what I keep hearing you saying is kind of like this idea of rehabbing people. Like there is this brokenness that has happened. And now we're trying to move towards what it looks like to be redeemed, to be brought back, you know? And even when you talked about like helping your daughters recognize like, okay, you know, I made this decision for Jesus. Now what does my life look like? It looks like claiming my healing because I'm a daughter of the King. It's like not letting the enemy, you know, trick me into, you know, acting out because I'm upset and just like this process of becoming whole, you know, um, that you're doing as an adoptive parent, as an adoptive family with, with your, you know, with your children that actually is happening with all of us as we walk through our life with the Lord, you know, it's, it's very similar (laughs) because it is, it just says to me. When I think about how God parents us and when we make a bad choice, he doesn't sit there and think, Hmm. As I'm sitting up here on my throne, I'm going to think of a more creative way to punish my child. I'm going to come up with a better consequence so that they don't do that again. That's not what God does. Mm. He calls us to him and he says, I know you mess up. Come here. Like, come on. I know it's okay. Come here. We'll, we'll figure this out together, but you need to come here and, and teaching my kids that it's okay. Like that we're always going to be a soft place to land for them that we're not going to be, you know, raining down consequences and punishments and, and all of these things. Um, God, God doesn't just contemplate how he's going to punish us the next time we do something bad. Um, the next time we mess up, God wants us to come to him and he wants us to talk to him and he wants us to ask him to help us to get things figured out. Um, and I think that that's a big part of parenting in general is how can we offer that to our kids so that they feel safe when they mess up to come and talk to you. Yeah. So good. So, so, so good. Um, okay. So here's a big question. This is something that I think can make adoptive relationships very challenging. How did you manage your own feelings, um, feelings, needs, wants in the middle of, um, the not so cuddly parts of your story. Uh, um, I wanted to punch things a lot sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. Um, no, it was, you know, we go through things throughout our lives that prepare us for the things that God calls us into. And he's always going to call us to something bigger and something better. 
And he's always going to ask more of us. There's always going to be, okay, now that you've developed this thing, I'm going to, I'm going to make you step further Mm -hmm. in this, in this situation. Um, you had interviewed Courtney Mm -hmm. a while back and she was talking about how you need to invest the time beforehand so that when things fall apart, you're ready to handle it. And so she said that she didn't build that needed strength in that moment. It had been built and fortified in her over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really think that the Lord had prepared me in a lot of ways. Um, I, I grew up with hippie parents and we lived on a boat for a few years without electricity and without showers and without all of these things. And so that taught me a lot of things about how much I, or how little I really needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was in Uganda by myself for two years with my kids and I was fine, mm-hmm. like not emotionally fine, but like I could handle, I knew I could handle the physical aspect of, of being there. And we, thankfully we did have electricity and running water most of the time, but, um, I think that God prepared me from my childhood to be able to live in a different country for a few years to be able to do this. I've talked to a lot of people who say that they wouldn't have been able to do it. And I, I think I would have volunteered to be the person to, to go on and live in a foreign country for a while. Like I loved, I loved traveling. I loved adventure. And so I think the Lord put that in me to get me ready for this kind of thing. Um, I think that, um, I, I, I do like a quiet time every morning when I'm drinking my coffee and I can't go a day without it. Like I have to fill myself with the word every morning before I deal with my kids or any other humans. <laughs> um, and so I think that that has been a huge thing for me is making sure that I'm, I use the version Bible app and I've got like 10 devos going at any given moment because I need to have wisdom coming from every direction so that I know, all right, I'm not in this alone. There are people who have experienced seasons of wilderness or seasons of hardship or seasons of distance or seasons of loneliness. And so these are the people that I need to be looking to for how I can go through this and, and, be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I came home, I went through just kind of an extreme anxiety and depression of that change of coming back to America. And people talk about um, having a chemical imbalance. And sometimes that means dopamine and oxytocin and all of those things. For me, the weirdest thing, it was the supplements I was taking. Like I was taking a supplement that was making me crazy. Mm. And once I stopped taking it, I started feeling normal again. Mm. And so like sometimes it's not always what you think it might be that's causing you to not feel well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that was a part of it for me too was was like changing up my diet and my supplements, making sure that I was physically healthy so that my emotions and my mind could be healthy as well. Um, and you never really think that it could be something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me it was, um, but I went through months and months of just really, really hard anxiety and finally figured out that it was 
something that was fixable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that for everybody, but I think it is kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and one of the movies that my kids watched a lot while we were in Uganda was Trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a scene where the girl is going to like rescue her friends and she's going through and she's like, it's going to be a fantastic day. And like, she's like watching all the butterflies and the rainbows and she's like got this great attitude and then like she sees a butterfly and then like the butterfly gets eaten by some kind of thing and then that thing gets eaten by another thing and that thing gets like toasted by another thing and then like and she's like okay we're gonna keep going and like I feel like that was so much of my experience of going through this whole process was all right so stuff just hit the fan and mm-hmm. we're going to keep going because what are our other options? Um, and so I think that just humor was something that helped me to get through, like watching watching Princess Poppy go and like watch all of this stuff hit the fan and she just kept, kept trucking. Like sometimes you just got to do it and you got to laugh at the fact that the butterfly just got annihilated. Um, yep. Because what else are you going to do? Right, right. <laughs> you can't sit in the corner and cry because you've got people relying on you. And you've got, you've got the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on. That are, that are cheering you on. Um, and I think, too, the Lord really spoke to me in a lot of different ways while I was over there. And about every six months, he would give me a new word to focus on and to dwell on. So I would be highlighting it in my Bible in like specific colors and things like that. Um, and so for, for part of it, he, he gave me the word warrior, which is always a good one. That's always encouraging. Solid, Thanks solid. God. I'll be a warrior. Yep. Like make me think of, um, Gideon and where God said the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And I'm like, yeah, the Lord is with me. I can do this. And then my word was steadfast. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was like, he was telling me to stay strong and stay steadfast, but steadfast actually means covenant faithfulness. And God was reminding me that he is covenantly faithful to me um, and that he is going to stay with me through it. And so I would actually, um, I had like a blank coffee mug, just like a plain coffee mug, and I would paint my word on it with nail polish. Mm. And so every morning I would drink out of my coffee mug and for a season it was warrior and for a season it was steadfast, for a season um, it was righteous. And for a season it was receive. And so like I had this, these different seasons that the Lord led me through and had different verses that I would dwell on during this time. Um, and I fasted, um, for the last year or so that I was there because I felt like I kept asking God to like, come on, God, I want you to fix these things. I want you to bring us home. I want you to do this for us. And I realized that I was just wanting stuff from him. And so I was like, all right, God, I'm going to fast every Monday and I'm going to just focus on seeking you and seeking your heart. And I don't want you to do anything for me other than just meet me and be with me. Um, and so when I started it, I didn't anticipate it being a full year of fasting every Monday. Um, but it ended up being a full, a full year of fasting every Monday until we came home. But I think it was really, really good to remind me that I need to I need to stop focusing on my circumstance and I need to just focus on the goodness of God. And that was my Monday, like as I was making breakfast, lunch and dinner for my kids, I was sitting there like 
God, I know that you are providing for us and I know that you are with us and I know that you're sustaining us. My marriage could have fallen apart, like being two years without my husband. And we have been so strong through everything. And I think that goes back to what Courtney said about developing that over the years. My husband and I had been married for seven years when I left to go to Uganda. And we, we had, we said like, we don't want success more than faithfulness. Like we want to be faithful to what God has called us to do and whatever that looks like, we're leaving that up to God because our idea of success would have been coming home Mm -hmm. two months after I got there. Mm -hmm. And so we have to analyze what is your idea of success? What does success look like in this season of Mm -hmm. parenting and of adoption and of hard stuff? Like what is success? We're not looking for success. We're looking for faithfulness and Mm -hmm. God wants us to stay faithful. And so he met me in in those seasons and and encouraged me with the right words at the right time so that I could make sure that I was dwelling on the things of God and not the things that were on earth. Mm-hmm. You just said so much just in that. Um, I think it, that's really, yeah, super, super good. Okay, so um, do you have any... What would you say? I was really debating on this question, but it's fine. What would you say to like good Christian families that are like, we want to adopt. We think it'd be a good idea. Like what, what would your, what would you say to them? Um, my first response is I always say run away, (laughs) (laughs) run away. Um, no, don't, don't run away, but definitely make sure that it's the Lord and not just I want to adopt this. I want to go and like just adopt this child that's just going to love me and adore me from the minute I pick them up. Like that's not, that's not going to be the thing. Um, Make sure that your heart is doing it for the right reasons and that the Lord is really calling you to do this because it's not going to be easy. And I don't think any parenting is easy. I don't know for sure what it's like to adopt or to, to parent, um, biological children. I would say all parenting is hard. Um, but I think that adoption adds so many extra layers of hard to it. Um, and so just make sure that it's what the Lord is calling you to do, like spend time fasting and praying and don't just think that it's going to be the celebrity so much fun because Angelina Jolie did it and she made it look cool. Um, make sure that you're willing to treats yourself into hell and back to get your kids and to bring them home. And then once you're home, the battle isn't over. You're still fighting every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could, I mean, you have to, you have to consider the severity of some of the things that you could be walking into. And I know families that have had to put their kids into treatment facilities because they just couldn't figure out what to do to help their kids. Um, because they were just so traumatized. Um, yeah, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky situation. And I do think I do think that faith plays a huge role in it, but I don't think that faith is the only answer. Like your love is not going to overcome the years of trauma that your child experienced. And your faith is sometimes not going to be enough to get you through the days where your child is being violent and 
breaking things and like it's it's going to take a lot out of you that you don't expect because when I first started this process I thought my faith is going to carry me so that I can just walk across the ocean to Uganda um and that's that that's not always enough like you have to have physical resources and you have to have therapy and you have to have so much going into being able to support you through this because it's so isolating and it's so like people just don't understand how serious it is to adopt a child Mm. so pray a lot (laughs) yeah I think that's like that's the due diligence part of it because even on my end you know I'll take a call for someone who's really wanting to adopt and you know, they'd be like, the Lord told us to do it and we're this and we're that. And it's, it's gotten bad for me where I'm like, okay, I know that's what you're saying, but like how much time have you invested really making sure, okay, have you really looked into your heart and been like, this is what God is calling me to do? Or do I want someone to call me mom and dad? Do I want to feel like a superhero? Do I want to, you know, all of these things. And so I like that you were like, <laughs> the initials run away, but just like really sit with the Lord and be like, are you calling us to do this? Not because it's a good idea, but because it's God's idea, you know? Um, I think that's really important. So you mentioned resources. Yeah. What resources do you recommend for peeps? Um, My very favorite book that I've read um, on adoption specifically is called The Connected Child. Mm -hmm. It's by Dr. Karen Purvis. Have you read it? I have it. I've started it. And the first couple pages, I was like, this is blowing my mind about discipline in general. It's okay. so great. She also has resources online. So mm-hmm. go on YouTube and look up Karen, K-A-R-Y-N Purvis. Um, she is just so great with kids and mm-hmm. the way she talks to kids and the way she enables kids and gives the kids a space. She's amazing. I Some days I'm like, I need to channel my inner KP. <laughs> my inner Karen. <laughs> Um, you also mentioned the whole brain child, um, Dr. Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson are affiliated with Karen Purvis and the Texas Christian university, um, Institute for childhood development. Um, one of my favorite books that I think I have ever read is called the deepest well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by Nadine Burke Harris. She's the surgeon general of California. She is amazing. Um, and so she wrote this book. Um, on it's called healing the deepest well healing the long-term effects of childhood adversity Mm. and so she talks about the aces score have you heard of the aces score aces yep adverse childhood experiences yes so there are 10 questions and if you if you can answer yes to them then you have had adverse childhood experiences and um it's just a fascinating book and she has discovered that there are so many things that can be correlated to having high ACEs and like I made a list. So depression, anxiety, asthma, autoimmune diseases, food allergies, cardiac disease, COPD, migraines, fibromyalgia, reflux, bronchitis, ulcers, like all of these things can be directly correlated to physical or emotional trauma, whether it's in the womb or during childhood, um, which is just insane to me. Um, And so that's one of the hugest parts to me about being a soft place to land for my kids on being aware of these things and trying to find ways to nurture the parts of their brain 
that need to be nurtured so that they don't become one of these things. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's a really, really fascinating book. I love, love, love that book. And then there's another book called the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. It's super, super deep. Like if you have hours and hours and hours to just be listening to deep psychological stuff, um, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. Um, it's, it says brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma. And so he talks about um, healing from PTSD. And so he was uh, a psychologist who was helping veterans who came back from war. And it was before PTSD was a diagnosis. And so he was trying to understand why after being away at war and coming home, people would snap mm -hmm. and do horrible things. And so he studied a lot of that. And so that's a really, really fascinating uh, book as well. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that those are some of my very favorite resources on the topic of adoption and trauma. Um, and I think that they, if you read all of those books, then you're probably going to be pretty sick. further along than most people mm -hmm. <laughs> who are on the adoption journey. Yeah, for sure. So I will link those books into the show notes so that you guys have access to them um, and can audiobook them or pick them up from your bookstore. I know it's like quarantine season right now. So everyone's kind of got time, <laughs> got a little space. So I'll link those in the show notes. Um, so you have been a wealth of knowledge and I'm sure would be an amazing resource to families that are considering adoption or, um, you know, in the adoption journey. So how could people reach out to you, get in contact with you if um, that would be something they'd like to do? Yeah, I'm happy to have people contact me. Um, probably the best way would be my email address. So my last name, S-L-A-C-K dot Kate at gmail.com. Okay. I'll definitely link that as well. So you guys can reach out to her because she is really, when I, like I said, when I was thinking about someone to talk about adoption, she had made a post about trauma and just a little bit about how uh, it was impacting their journey. And I was like, yep, she gets it. We're going to bring her on. <laughs> she gets it. So definitely connect with her if you're considering adoption, if you have questions, if you're in the middle, in the thick of it. Um, thank you so much for sharing. I know you know, this isn't necessarily how I think people think of adoption. And so there's a little bit of vulnerability and a lot of bit of bravery in um, talking as 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 authentically and, and openly as you have. So we appreciate you here at the podcast for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I really hope that that if there's any benefit from from our struggles, that it can be a hope to somebody else. So Definitely thank you for letting me be a part of this today. Yeah. Thanks so much. So, okay, guys, as usual, you know, you can connect with us through Instagram or Facebook, even Twitter. Um, we're Walking Well Podcasts on all of those platforms. So um, we'll definitely be posting a little snippet from Kate's um, interview and even maybe linking some of the books there and showing you what they are because I have a number of them. So um, definitely follow the podcast there. As always, have an amazing week. Boss it out, guys. Bye.